welcome to The Truth in His Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I have the privilege of being in conversation with an accomplished business development professional with expertise in strategy, marketing, and operations focused on the food and beverage industry and economic development, the founder and CEO of Curate. Please welcome Kim Bryden. Welcome to the podcast. Wow. Thank you so much for having me. What a cool intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Um, and much uh, much respect for coming on and, um, and indulging me and being able to, to spin a yarn with Rob Lee here. Um, yeah. So as, as we get started, uh, and again, thank you for coming on. Um, I don't like to get too, too deep into the podcast before um, I kind of like open up with something that I think almost all guests, most, most guests, can talk about themselves. So what's the Kim Brighton story and how did we get to where we're at now? Um, there's another bullet point in there, but I'll, I'll let you start off there. Yeah. Oh gosh. So I grew up in New Jersey in a farm town in New Jersey. It is the garden state after all. Um, and from a young age, I became really interested in um, how different forms of art are a form of expression. Um, and I see food and the culinary arts as one of those means of storytelling. It's like your heart on a plate. Sure. And so uh, throughout my life, I did dance, I did musical theater, and I did, you know, a variety of mixed medium arts. And when I got into university, that moved me to Washington, D.C., where I've now lived for 16 years. Oh, wow. Um a very long time, yes, and and that's brought me between the DC and Baltimore communities. I realized that I wanted to be a museum curator, and I thought the way my brain works is that I can think of this high-level message that maybe an art exhibit would want to instruct down to the font on the wall. <laughs> this like high high-level tactical. That's just how my brain goes back and forth. But when I finished university, um, it was the 2009 financial collapse, mm -hmm. wah, wah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> nobody was really hiring in the arts. And so I um, ended up working for the DC Alcoholic Beverage Regulation Administration doing liquor licensing. Oh, wow. Very strange. Um, <laughs> and through that experience, again, it was amidst the financial collapse. From a national perspective, I kept hearing this rhetoric around small business being the backbone of the American economy. And we hear that still, you know, like that's very true. Um, but yet when I was seeing people come into the office who were bar and restaurant owners, um, they would approach me and say things like, finally, someone who uses a computer, you know. <laughs> so I was just very intrigued about the process a small business owner went through in order to get to me. And I just became really curious around what were the barriers to entry when starting and running a business. Um, and from there, I ended up working for Whole Foods and I opened a Whole Foods store in downtown DC. Uh, I ended up leaving Whole Foods and I worked for a few different food tech companies. But ultimately what I realized is that food businesses in particular really are the stewards of so much of our community connection yeah. um, and really drive jobs that people also want to hold to feel connected to their communities. Um, and so, yeah, that's what's led me to this moment. It's really this um, arc of me always knowing that storytelling through some sort of art form was in my core and it just so happened to be through food. Thank you. So 
there, there, the, the, the bullet point that's in it, and maybe this goes way far back because uh, mm. I think a lot of times we're we're in this arts, we're we're in this sort of work, and there is some overlap. There are entrepreneurs who are artists and artists who are entrepreneurs, and so on. And I think back to high school was probably one of my first entrepreneurial experiences. I was basically undercutting our school store. I used to carry around a duffel bag full of like candy and sodas, you know, junk food. Uh-huh. So what was one of those like early, early, early entrepreneurial experiences that, that comes to mind for you? Oh my gosh. Well, I have, I have two directions I can go. Maybe I can explore both sure. <laughs> because both have really honestly formed me into the business person I am today. The first also high school story um, I was the president of my high school. And I think the reason why that occurred is because from an early age, I started understanding you have to actually listen to what people's problems are and then design solutions based on what they say their problem is sure. versus just having some talking points and just, you know, stump speeching and not really promising anything. And this is a very strange thing to campaign on. But what I kept hearing from my classmates was that our high school was formed in a U and we weren't allowed to walk outside between buildings. And so I actually campaigned on building a fence, (laughs) which is just hilarious in the context of our lives today, Um, in order for people to be able to walk between buildings and then not get detention for being late. Um, and so to, to this day, um, I'm the oldest of three girls. My sisters are five and seven years younger than me. They ended up going to that same high school and telling me that prom proposals happen there now. People eat outside in that courtyard. And none of that would have happened without the fence of all things. Um, We're at so, Brighton fence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so honestly, not necessarily on the business side, but what that taught me was really people are looking for, you know, solutions to the problems that they have. And you just have to be really an active listener to hear what, what that is. Um, And that's carried with me ever since. And then this is another strange example, but I put myself through school by being a beverage cart girl on a golf course. And I would drive my cart around and be like, sir, you look parched. How about an ice cold water? You know, and uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I learned a lot about um, how individuals present in different spaces that they're in and how um, when you step into different business environments or social environments, there's a code switching that happens. There's a different way people behave with one another based on that environment. And it's just a very, it was an intriguing experience to have so early on in my life for me to see um, the nuance of what it means to be in business. It's not always just about transactions, but it's about also the relationships that you have and that you form, which is equally, if not more important sometimes um, in building social capital. Yeah. It's not just about financial capital, but the social capital. So I really take both of those with me in the entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, it, it's that's something that's in, in really important and uh, something that for a long time, I didn't think I was good at it. And I've seen the value of it much more now. And 
I don't have an excuse not to be good at it. I, I just think I wasn't exposed to it enough or taught how taught the, the methods in which we can go about it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, like building up that social capital, that goodwill, if you will. And um, I find that it's led to many interviews, many opportunities and, and things of the sort um, to kind of grow in this sort of space of being a creative, but also being in a kind of a, an advantageous spot of helping and supporting businesses and community and all of that good stuff. Totally. In fact, this this point that we're talking about is like the bedrock of why Curate Courses was even formed. Because if you are someone who didn't have an uncle who was a lawyer or a mom who was in grocery, you know, there's just, how would you know? And so when I started Curate, um, and fun fact, at the time of this recording, um, Tomorrow is Curate's eighth birthday. Wow, that's great. Yes, that's really great. Se- September 2nd. Um, so really at this core of how are we like democratizing access to knowledge and access to opportunity was this idea around what does it mean to also build social capital with one another? Because you have knowledge and resources that I might need and I might have that knowledge that you might need. And so that is a really core component of what we're trying to foster and build here because we all have our blind spots. Um, And so really making sure we're in community and supportive of one another as we're growing in a scary way. Entrepreneurship's hard. So, so while we're on that, let's, let's talk about like what, what your role is, is what your role is as CEO, founder, and at Curate, and you know, just kind of give us that 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 rundown of what Curate is about and what that that focus kind of looks like. Yeah, initially, starting eight years ago, <laughs> it was working with founder owner operators when they were launching a new product or launching into a new market, and then quickly we realized that while there was a lot of incredible businesses we were working with. There was an inherent um, business development uh, bottleneck for us because not everyone has the funds and me- you know means to hire outside help by no fault of anyone's. There's just different reasons why people do or do not have that access cash. And so that was the first um, iteration or pivot of Curate was the development of Curate courses, this 10-course sure. bespoke curriculum where we could figure out as a cohort um, – ways we could work with individuals in groups and have this peer-to-peer learning. And over time, graduating businesses, we've graduated over 200 entrepreneurs now through Curate Courses, um, all throughout the Mid-Atlantic, Maryland, D.C., Virginia. And we were just recruited to open a second hub in Arkansas, of all places. (laughs) Yeah. So we've, we've graduated 20 businesses now in Arkansas as well. Wild. That's a whole other story. Um, But over time, Having these businesses graduate through courses and doing that one-on-one coaching, we got a lot of questions around, okay, I'm in the farmer's market, I'm in the local coffee shop, maybe the local grocery store is carrying me, but now what? Like now, what do I do next? And that's what led to the third and final piece of Curate, which is Curate Connect, where we embed as the local purchasing team at anchor institutions like universities and hospitals and help them shift their money back into local small business. Got it, yeah. And so by us seeing from the business side, like what is it that these 
large businesses even want to buy that helps us really guide the supply side, the entrepreneurship side and the education, because we're coming from a place of deep knowledge and understanding of what the market demands are. And so if I was going to boil it down or really supply and demand matchmaking or curating, curating the connection, um, Thank you. I was waiting for something like that. <laughs> Between big and small. Um, and it just so happens once through education and once through purchasing. And that's what we do on a, on a daily basis and really figure out how to foster more of that economic cohesion between big and small so that cash is circulating within our communities. Yeah, that's important. It has impact and now it's, it's spreading. You mentioned Arkansas earlier. <laughs> so is, is there any like what 200, right? That's, that's a that's a pretty substantial number. So 200 like businesses, business owners kind of like getting that that extra support that I think often like we know what we know how to do, but we miss some of those. Like, why am I not popping? Why am I not crossing over? Why am I not getting the clients that I really want? You you might know this is going to sound ridiculous. You might know potatoes, but you may not know like all of the ins and outs of connecting and provi- uh, connecting to to be in business with a particular uh, client. It's so true. Yeah, I, it's interesting you give that example because we quip and say you might make jam but not know how to run a jam business. Mm-hmm. You come to us because you might be so great at making your thing could be soap, right? It doesn't even have to be food. It could be shirts. It could be pretzels. It could be cheesecake. I don't, whatever it is, Mm. you are the expert at your thing. Like no one has your story behind your product, but there's a whole other aspect to running a business that isn't like the bare minimum is it's got to taste good, right? (laughs) It's got to be delicious. It's got to be consistently made for someone to want to buy it. Like, that's all you. That is you, your story, your vision, your product. But then there's this whole other aspect of what gets someone to buy it in the first place mm-hmm. to change the way that they've been buying from maybe, you know, maybe they were buying beef jerky, Slim Jims before, mm-hmm. and now you're trying to convert them away from Slim Jims to your beef jerky. Just as an example, like, yeah. how would you go about that? So there's that initial hook all the way through to repeat purchases. We can't have someone just buy it once. Yeah. They've got to be a purchaser consistently. So all of those nuances is are what we walk through with curate courses of what does it mean to really be building the business side of your food business? That's 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 important. That's important. That is so important. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah. Um so I, I always like to hear from from people who are who are in business, who are supporting businesses, because there are there, there's never really one way to skin a cat, as it were, or to, to peel a potato, to use that, because, uh, you know, cats don't need to be skinned. Um, what are what are some of those lessons that you learned, like, early on, whether it be through through school, whether it be through, like, early, hey, this is how you go about business? What are some of the ones that you've had to unlearn and go about in a different way mm. in practice? <laughs> yeah. Well, I sort of want to expand upon the active listening that I was mentioning earlier, because sometimes people will say that their problem is something, but really there's an, there's an underbelly that you have to get at. And I'll I'll give you a, a concrete example. So 
it might be that a potential buyer or client says, um, I just don't know if this is within my price range, or I'm not sure if um, this is really going to meet our needs right now. That you could take it at face value, or you could start learning more about that person, their values, how they're looking to grow as an individual. And you might find out and learn that they're actually exploring a new job. And so they're not trying to bring you on because they're like on their way out. So they're just like, oh, I don't want to deal with this. Mm -hmm. um, and so maybe they're looking for a portfolio piece of something that they can do before they exit. Or maybe they're never going to be won over um, because they're on the way out the door. And so it's really important as we again, go through courses. And as I've gone through life as a business owner, is to really be an active listener around what's the real reason why someone is or is not making that decision um, and ways in which you can adapt your solution to the problem that they're actually having. You may never change the actual product. You might always be selling that cheesecake. Yeah. But the reason why someone wants to buy your cheesecake might adapt and you have to be able to know how to pitch and craft your story to meet someone where they are. Um, and so that's really one thing that I have to always remind myself and relearn over and over again. Um, and then maybe on the other side of the spectrum, just personally, I've had to um, really make sure that my values and what I believe in are at the forefront and core of what I say and what I do down to hiring decisions, yeah. the way that we email people, you know, it's, it has to be prevalent throughout all aspects of life or else people will call you out and be like, Hey, you said, you know, you said you wanted this, but now you're doing that. Um, and that's really something I would impart to any individual or, uh, that wants to start a business is that people really believe in you and you believe in yourself and, and you believe in what you stand for. Um, and that's been a really steadfast aspect of, of us growing over time is yeah. really having that core, core desire and core values that we're upholding. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually even uh, wrote for my own personal self I wrote a document called the Kim operating system <laughs> where I wrote like Kim's personal core values separate <laughs> from the business because I thought it was really important for me to have a distinction between, you know, what I'm trying to achieve in my own personal life separate than business pursuits. And just another, you know, tidbit for anyone listening at some point in business, there has to be some sort of decoupling so that not all of, one's worth is tied up in one space. The KOS. <laughs> oh yeah, the KOS. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of went through one of these exercises uh, with a business cohort that I was in and was looking at like doing persona research. And I was like, since I'm so attached and coupled, if you will, with what this podcast and what the brand associated with this podcast represents, I, I just wanted to get some feedback from folks on what do they, what, what kind of commonality is between how I'm perceived as, as the host and, you know, visionary thought, like whatever the term yeah. that people would use with this particular brand and how the brand is perceived and how, to, how that whole thing works. Is there like, 
we hate you, but we love the podcast or, you know, what, what no. does that look like? That would, that would be yeah. really funny if it was what came out in the data. It's like, wow, get rid of me. <laughs> but we see that in news all the time, right? There's like personas that are happening on air, but then in real life, that's not how that person is at all. And right. so I think that's something that I think us as like consumer citizens are really aware of now is that discrepancy or um, I, I don't even know what to call it, like d- phoniness or detachment from yeah. like r- real self versus perceived self. Yeah. And people want to feel more of that authenticity, I think. Yeah, it's an incongruency there. Like, yes, there we go. Yeah. my $5 words. <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> so let, let's talk about mastering like some of those smaller details. I, I, I read that when you master the smaller details, it's kind of like you're, you're going through a class, you're going through a level. You're like, oh, I passed this test. And that's just like a small piece of the ult- ultimate class. And the class is a small piece of earning that degree or getting through that semester or what have you. It just kind of goes up. So do you agree with like, you know, kind of mastering some of the smaller things helps you when inevitably in, with confidence when inevitably you run into a roadblock? Mm, absolutely. And two things I will tell um, uh, younger professionals like just graduating high school or just graduating college is do not underestimate the power of a thank you note. You know, just like having it in an email, handwritten, maybe you remember a special moment that somebody had, um, whether it be a business anniversary or, or something that reminded you of somebody. People really appreciate being seen and heard. Um, and so I think of that as a small act that over time really builds trust and reliability that people often forget about. And if you didn't have a parental figure or guardian that wrote thank you notes, again, like how would you ever know to do that? And so these are things that I like to bring up as those small touches that really mean a lot over time, personally or professionally. Yeah. Um, And then I think the other thing is really being an open learner to a lot of different types of industries and not just staying in your own like cacophony of your own space, because you can start really gleaning things from so many other Mm -hmm. um, types of challenges people in other industries might be going through. You might be in food and be like, what does AI have to do with my life? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like... Who cares? You know, what's Elon Musk doing? Forget about it. But it might be extremely important to the face of how retail is changing. It might be changing the way transportation and logistics are affecting your business. And if you're not staying attuned to how we are a global culture and how these things are shifting, you might be really missing out on where you fit in that cultural zeitgeist. And so... I think just being open and not, not so, um, you know, singularly minded is also really important. It's hard to be in a silo where you're, you have like, for for instance, I'm podcast nerd, right? It's like, I don't go to any of like the podcast conventions because it's like, uh, but it's like in a more macro sense, 
I might go to a convention where people are talking about certain things. I might, I'll go to an art gallery. I'll go to like some type of business conference to connect with people in that way. And I'm being exposed to all of these different things. And they may find out that, you know, the cost of mixers have gone up, you know, that I used to record um, or, you know, Zoom is now clunky and having issues, which may or may not be happening, but clunky and has issues. So that's something I need to be aware of. And those are not necessarily industries that you 100% say this is a podcast industry. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I think, especially in college, when people are focused on a major and just, again, singularly focused. When I was in school, I took like, religion classes, art history classes. You know, I, I was trying to be expansive with some of my electives and I try to stay that way as an adult as well as the things that I'm consuming aren't just industry specific because we have to have some of that systems level thinking going on in order to, to, you know, make the impact that we want to see. 100%. So I got, I got two questions. I only got three left here, actually. Uh, I got Ooh. two questions, I think, that kind of go together. So I'm going to, like, uh, button them under, like, leadership. So let's talk about, um, in terms of doing one thing well, how would you deem yourself as a leader? It's like, let's get the team in here. I'd love to hear what they'd have to say right now. Um, I think one of the things I continually work on, and I hope... I foster within our team members as well is, is being creative and not just coming up with new creative solutions, but also thinking about like, why does it have to be done this way? Or why do we hold this thing as a truth? Mm-hmm. It just being just approaching life in that state of curiosity and creativity and thinking like, well, why is the system this way? Like who designed it that way? And does it have to be? <laughs> and so I, I hope that that's one of the things they would say about me. That's what I care about. <laughs> um, And actually, you, you kind of keyed in on one of the things. So I only have one question left now. So good on you. Overachieving. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so as a leader, what would you what is your cadence? Like, what is your working cadence? Are you a uh, person that uh, works under the whole Pomodoro method of, hey, I'm going to do this and kind of take like 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Are you like, I need to work 12 hour days for two weeks straight and then the next two weeks, it's going to be six hours. Tell me about your cadence. Mm. Someone once told me that I walk the line of work in whimsy well. And I like <laughs> really hold that as a compliment. So um, I would say there's, moments of the day that I feel more inspired to work. Like I rather just knock things out in the morning and really slow things down around three, four o'clock in the afternoon. But then I might go back at seven or 8 PM. I I feel more inclined to listen to my body. Um, I suppose I'm a lot of my friends are somatic coaches, which are listening to one's body and, the traumas and stress we hold in different parts of our body. So that's not really a steadfast rule, but that's how I operate. And I have absolute moments where I'm like, this is a no computer day. (laughs) I dig it. I dig it. Just typically my Saturdays, no computers on Saturdays, no (laughs) screens. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm working to get better at that and, you know, having time to take breaks because that's really important. And, you know, I'll go through and it's like, oh, OK, I've been up since four and mm-hmm. I'm doing a mix of having the day job while doing the doing the series of podcasts and all. So it's always a balancing act, but really trying to, you know, chase that obsession, chase what you're you're really meant to do while yeah. um, being able to balance like what, what you need to do. Absolutely. I love your questions because the core component, I feel that the stage of businesses that we see at Curate Courses that they're going through is trying to figure out how they're going to leave their full-time job and do this side job for real. Sure. Or maybe it's uh, partners, whether they be romantic or otherwise, who have been doing this and now they have to hire somebody new And it brings up a lot of these emotions around ego and perfectionism and letting go of things. Uh, It's hard. And I'm speaking from experience. And this is a reason why, um, as a part of Curate Courses, we uh, have a leadership coach. And one of our workshops is on what it means for you as a leader to give and receive feedback, to really um, build that skill set of what it means to lead a company now because that's what we're growing and trying to build towards. And after that workshop session, everyone in the courses cohorts gets a free one-on-one session with that coach. So it's something we really believe in is you as the individual are just, just as if not more important to the success of this business here and making sure your mental health and you're taken care of. Yeah. 100%. And it's really important to have that because I think it, I always joke about it. We kind of just got cool with people uh, having minds and, and, and needing things from a mental health perspective. So yeah. r- recognizing that people who are taking that risk, who are rolling that dice to become entrepreneurs and taking everything that comes along with it, you know, there there are other things that, that are needed because it's it can be a lonely journey. It can be a very challenging journey. And yeah, I, I, I joke about, you know, my podcast being my most stable relationship. And it's just like, well, it is, it's been 13 years and uh. yeah, (laughs) totally. And, and when it is, like I mentioned at the top, it's like a, a creation from your soul that now you're putting out into the world. And it's of course, so personal. Mm -hmm. And I, I have so much respect and admiration for other business owners, um, being one myself or you really, yeah, you're putting yourself out there every day and making sure that you have a space to also digest and process what's going on for you is really important. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good space for us to kind of kind of wrap on the real questions. And if you'll indulge me, I have some rapid fire questions for you. I want to run through. Cool. And, and uh, the, the key thing with these is don't overthink them. Don't overthink them. Don't overthink them. Uh, and um, yeah, so, you know, we're going for brevity here. So um, I want to start off with kind of like a softball just to kind of, you know, it's like stretching. <laughs> who who all curates people, you know, and, and, and by that, you know, like who, who are they and who are the people that it would make sense? Mm, curates people are those who walk into a store and turn the product around to read the story about the business on the jar. They're the people who show up um, 
at an event because they just wanted to be there to support their community member without any, it's like when you drop a friend to the airport and you're not really getting anything from it. You're just driving them to the airport because you're that person. Um, That's, that's our people, just hospitality, right? Being really thoughtful and mindful about who you are and how you show up in the world. Thank you. So now now it's going to get progressively weirder. Uh, (laughs) Do you think you could win a game show? And if so, which one? Ooh, definitely. I love games. Um, I'm particularly great with like Wordle Scrabble type games, Mm -hmm. um, but I also love scavenger hunts. So (laughs) my fiance actually courted me through a scavenger hunt. That's how much I love them. (laughs) That's really cool. Uh, Let's see. What is your favorite time-wasting activity? Mm, I really love to dance, but I don't see that as time-wasted. I see it as like refilling my cup. Um, that was like fitness, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if it was actually time-wasted, oof, I don't know. Just couch TV, chill time. <laughs> yeah. What, what are you currently watching? Um, what did we just finish? Uh, Better Call Saul. We just okay. finished that up. Yeah. Uh, okay. Here's, here's the, uh, the last one. Um, if you could only watch one movie for the rest of your life, which one would it be? Oh my gosh. What <laughs> could I say to this? Wow. It's a mm. tough one. <laughs> this is a really tough one. Hmm. Wow. Rob, I think you've stumped me here. <laughs> I'm like, do I go musical to be joyful? Do I go like really deep and serious so that I can like keep unlocking more and more nuance? And you oh, almost wow. want to look at how long a movie is. It's like, I don't want to do a cheapo. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, okay, I'll flip it then. I'll flip it. Because you know, I always like to have a backup question in there. Because sometimes uh-huh. the questions are a little harder than expected. Um, what world record do you think you have a be- the best shot at beating? Mm. I think I could get really good at speed reading or hula hooping. Okay. That, that is fair. <laughs> that is fair. That those are real things. Guinness world record sort of thing. So yeah, shout out to you. Um, yeah. <laughs> so with that, um, I want to thank you for coming on to this podcast. Gratitude, gratitude. Thank and you. welcome. And um, I want to invite and encourage you to uh, share in the final moments here Everything Curate, everything Kim, the floor is yours. Thanks so much, Rob. Yeah, and anybody listening um, between now, the time we've recorded this and um, September 12th, 2022, um, we have applications open for businesses in the Maryland area to apply to be a part of Curate courses for our fall cohort, but they'll remain open application will for our spring cohort as well which will focus on farmers, caterers, and prep foods businesses. So definitely check that out. That's curate.co slash courses hyphen MD. Um, And yeah, give us a follow at Curate Co. And would absolutely love to meet you and learn more about your business and how you're looking to grow. So there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Kim Brighton for coming on to the podcast from Curate. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there are businesses, entrepreneur support, all of that great stuff in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it. Mm-hmm.